Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Today we're going to pick up with second part of Light It Up. And uh, if you didn't get the first part, we're only going to briefly recover it, so you're going to want to go back online and listen to it. And I just, you know, just to clarify it. We're, so this light it up thing, this is a big, big thing. God is calling us to light it up. And the up is our perspective. It's where we're, we're coming at life from. It's the viewpoint that we have. Our theme for Christmas is going to be let there be light and it's going to be awesome. Um, but yeah, so Wayne took the advantage of the extra bonus weather and finished all the, the decorations in the yard. Most of them still waiting on the giant nativity scene. But yeah, so he comes in and he's like, we are lit. And I'm like, not sure that's the right phrase. And he's like, that's, that's, that's the theme for Christmas is we are lit. No, no, we are, we are lighting it up. We, we are lighting it up, people. Just, just in case you need some clarity. So, um. And also sharing these things is very helpful because uh, I don't know if Sarah's here today, but uh, Sarah sent me an email and she's like, you, you don't need to put glow sticks on your dog. Here's what you can order from Amazon. And so his new light up collar came in the mail yesterday. So that's awesome. We're, we're, we, are, we are lit in other ways now. So this is good, but we are lighting it up and our perspective is shifting. God is changing our viewpoint. We want to see the world, life, our callings through his eyes. We want to get a different perspective. If we stay down here in this perspective, honestly, it's just depressing and it's infuriating and it's, it's hopeless really. But when we get a view from God's perspective, when we have a heavenly perspective, when we're living from a higher place, when we're looking from a higher place, it changes everything. And so we know that we as God's people are called to be different. If you didn't know that yet, this might be the revelation that you were waiting for. If God in our lives didn't transform everything, what would be the point? Like if knowing God, if walking with him didn't really change anything, what would be the point? God, if he is who he says he is, and we believe he is, if he's done what he said he's done, and we believe he has, then when he enters our lives, when he engages our lives, everything should change. This is not just a Sunday thing. This is in every part of our life. So we're walking through this and, and recognizing that not just is it different, but it's more. It's more. Jesus said that I have come that you would have life and life abundantly or life to the full, life to the more than just what is necessary, but it's more, it's a bigger thing, it's a better thing, it's more. And so our lives as believers should be rich in him. It doesn't mean everything's perfect. It doesn't mean that everything falls just perfectly into place, but it means that we have this thing on the inside that is full of him. We have joy. We have peace. We have hope. We can walk in love. We have kindness. We have mercy. We have the fruit of the spirit manifesting. There's stuff that happens in our lives. We've been called to more. Matthew 5, 14 to 15, and we're just like stacking scriptures. So if you're like, I think I heard this one before. You have. You've heard these the last couple of weeks, and we're just going to keep adding them. But Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So to the all who are in the house are those that are around us. 
It's the places where we live. It's the places where we work. It's the places where we function. When we are living in the light, it actually gives light to those around us. We become atmosphere changers. We become perspective shifters. We become those that can take a room that is full of negativity and darkness, and we can add life and hope. We, we carry the presence of God into it. Bill Johnson said, I love this quote. He said, the mark of the gospel impacting a person's life is literally not conforming. The mark of the gospel impacting a person's life is literally not conforming. Now, this is not just about civil disobedience or anything like that. It means that we don't act like the culture. We don't act like what's around us. When we're like, oh my goodness, everything's so messed up. Just don't be like that then. The fact that God is in us, that we, we have been impacted by the presence of the good news, it means that we just, we are different. We're, we just see things, view things, act on things a different way. We know that the darkness cannot shut out the light, but it definitely tries. John 1, 5, we talked about last week, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So even though there's a constant attempt to silence the, the good news, to shut out the light, it can't be shut out. God is eternal, God is everlasting, and there is no move that the enemy can make that will end what God does or who he is. There's no move he can make. And so we are in this place where we have, we have, if we've come to Christ, we have embraced the eternal. We've embraced the victorious one. We have stepped into a place of agreement with the one who is above all, the one who has the answers. And so we should be a little different. But we have to consciously choose this. And so last week we talked about this and we're just gonna recap a little bit, but how do we purposely shine? We live in the light. How do we purposely shine? We live in the light. And what that means is we consciously decide to live in the light. We live here in our physical beings, but we choose to come at it from a perspective of living in the light. We live in God. We do what we do from him, in him, through him, for him. Our perspective is quite different. We're not overcome and overwhelmed by the things that come at us, but like from God's perspective, we live in him and we, we occupy territory in him and with him. Our homes are meant to be a place where God's presence is there where the atmosphere is different, where people come into your house and they're like, oh, it's so peaceful in here. And it's not because you, you like smudged or something. It's not, not because you did any, it hung something on the wall. It's not because you bought some thing to hang in the window. It is literally because the presence of God is there and his peace passes all understanding. It's that thing where when we come close to people and they're like, I don't know, I don't know how you can do that. I don't know how you could forgive like that. I don't know how you could walk past it. I just let stuff go because I've been forgiven much because I've been loved extravagantly because I've been found and rescued. And so I have everything to offer. I can totally offer. I am different. I decide to live in the light. But last week I talked about this perspective because I'm like, there is a fire that we're meant to carry. And, and the description that Jesus gives there, city set on a hill, a light on a lampstand. He's talking about fire. So the metaphor that we know for the presence of God, the anointing of God is fire. The presence of God was a pillar of fire in the Old Testament. The presence of the Holy Spirit in, an, in the New Testament was like tongues of fire that came upon each person. Fire is the picture that we have for that 
that life on the inside that God gives, that presence of God. But there is what, what I would call and what I felt the Lord say was a wet blanket that is the atmosphere over this nation. Every nation has its own thing. Every nation has its own obstacle. But a wet blanket is a term from the Middle Ages uh, from the 1600s, sorry, that is about, it's a cooking thing, and it's literally a wet blanket is there to suffocate the fire. So a wet blanket comes on, and in our, our terminology, we have to wonder, like, is it just a feeling? Because we can feel the wet blanket. We can have a time in prayer, we can have a time in the presence of God, and we're like, yes! And then, like, a feeling settles, a, a sense of just, meh. Maybe, I was, maybe that was just wishful thinking. I don't, meh, meh. And we just drift into maintenance. Maintenance is like a cuss word in the kingdom because we are called to increase. Like literally, we, we are meant to be fruitful and multiply. We are meant to bear much fruit. There's, there is growth and increase that is meant to come out of our lives. That meh of maintenance is not of God. And so when that presses in and it becomes just constant, it, it's something that we have to fight against. And, and again, we've come into it, there's a, an apathy that crosses over our nation. Part of it, I wanna just put this in here for, for bonus points here. Um, it's dark all, all the time right now. And it's gonna get worse for the next four weeks. And then it's gonna be this way like eight weeks from now. We can decide to be like, oh, it's so dark, I just don't do well, I think I have issues with my mind when it's dark like this. Or we can decide, no, I've been put here on purpose, with a purpose, I'm not going to sleep for eight weeks, I am going to effectively serve God, I'm gonna do whatever it takes, I'm gonna crank on the lights, I'm gonna get one of those special ones with the right kind of bulb in it, whatever it takes. But you need to understand that there is a demonic force that connects onto our mindset of it's normal to go to sleep. No, it's not. This is the time of year when people are the most hungry for God. This is the time of year when people are most open to conversations. This is the time of year when people feel alone, when people feel scared, when people feel uh, un unsure of what's in the future. What does it take to, to cause the church to rise up is we have to fight this, co this constant like wet blanket of even our environment physically. You're like, we actually live in the north. It's just, a bio, it's just a scientific thing. This is how the planet lands. Yes, the darkness is the actual scientific thing. The mindset that we all talk about where we say, I just can't function at this time of year. That is a demonic piggyback. That's something that got added on to what, what it is that happens just naturally in the turn of the earth. One of the other words that kind of explains this blanket thing, and I felt like this was super interesting, is the word curfew. And so a curfew, um, most of us don't think on that as like curfews are super fun, right? Curfews are when you end the super fun and you have to go home. So curfews are the boundary lines that get emplaced on us as teenagers, uh, in a workplace, in, maybe in the military, maybe you're at university, it gets imposed in places where a nation is under siege, where there's, there's a crisis going on. Curfew means you have to be within your walls, you have to be at home, you have to stay safe, be safe, and you don't want, you don't want to be out there causing harm for other people. But do you know what's really interesting? The word curfew, it actually came 
It's a French word, and I don't know, I'll probably butcher this, but the root word for curfew is couvre-fou. Two words means cover the fire. It literally means cover the fire. So the idea behind it was back in the day when, when people lived really close to each other, literally the, the Middle Ages, uh, people lived close to each other and they were worried that your fire might cause somebody else problems. So there would be a bell that would ring and it was curfew. It was time to cover the fire. So you put your fire out so it doesn't cause anybody else any problems. So that's fine. That's a, that's a good concept. But I believe the whole wet blanket thing, it's, it's a partner to this. The wet blanket is to shut out the fire. The curfew is more subtle. It, it means, it doesn't say that we can't have a fire. It's just where we say it should be, when we say it should be, how we say it should be. Uh, the, the fire needs to be contained and it shouldn't spill out on anybody else. Do what you want behind your four walls, but don't let it spill out on anybody else. And I believe that's what we're fighting against. It's, it's this thing. That's why we're not so opposed to it. We don't recognize it when it comes. We don't, we don't recognize this, this um, containing of the fire because we can up close and personal, we can do what we want, but we just can't spread it, which causes a little bit of problems when Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Like when we're called to do something different, when we're, we, we actually see a world that is without hope and we carry the hope. When we see a world that's lost in darkness and we carry the light. When we see pain and suffering, but we actually carry the healer. We should not be containable. We should not be willing to stay within a measured space. We should not be willing to be silent. And so just, these are just words that give us a picture of what it looks like. Why hasn't it bothered us up until now? Because it's subtle like that. It's just, it's just subtle, just a little limitation and a little boundary and a little fence to stay behind. And so as we look forward into this, we have to understand that if we want to see something be different, we have to be different. If we want to see something change, we have to change. We have to allow the Lord to do something in our hearts. We've talked about this quote before, but Leif Hetland said, in order to change a culture, we need to have a different culture in us. There has to be something different on the inside so that we can even affect things. We don't recognize where the external culture has blended in on us until we pause in moments like this and we ask God, have I been living by a demonically imposed curfew? Have I quit early under a demonically imposed wet blanket? Have I let the fire die? Am I willing to limit the fire? Am I willing to contain the fire? Or am I ready to burn? Am I ready to be a passionate son or daughter of God? Am I ready to live full on, spent on him, living in the light? Am I ready to light it up? Am I ready to be the person who's fully committed to what it is he's called me to do and be, to live in that relationship with him? That's the invitation. And Isaiah 61 and 2, we talked about this last week, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you and the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. That's his intention. So how do we live in the light? We choose to walk in bold relationship with him. And we started in on this last week, but this is the plan. How do we live in the light? We choose to walk in bold relationship with him. Ephesians 5, 8 to 11. For you were once darkness, 
but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Walk as children of the light. We should be different. We should be different. It should be obvious whose we are, who we serve, what we're living in, that there's something on the inside. There is a light. We walk as children of the light. We walk in bold relationship with Jesus, which means he is the first in everything. We have to recognize that even though our national dialogue says the God of your understanding, he's not the God of my understanding. He's the God who says I am. I am. He doesn't care really what we think about it. It's not really up to us to debate what do we think or how do we measure what God should be or could be. That's not like God. God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't. He is who he is. He was established before the foundations of the earth. He always was. He always will be. We have to come into relationship with the one who is eternal. The one who is the I am. That is what walking in the light means. And when we understand that God always has been and God always will be and God breathed the very breath of life into us, that we are here at his desire because of his creative desire to put us on the earth and we come into relationship with him, it doesn't make a ton of sense for us to say, you know what? God of my understanding, um, I would really like it if we could possibly look at doing things this way, because that would make me feel comfortable. And I just really feel like I, I don't want to offend anybody in my family or my workplace. And so if we could just possibly do things, this would be my top four recommendations, God of the universe, for how we should possibly proceed. And so if you could pick one of those four, that would be so wonderful. And yet, how many of us treat God like that? There are commandments in the Bible. There is a nature of God that we can read about and that we can experience personally. And it really, it has to shift on the inside of us. So we're like, God, what do you want? What do you want for my life? You, you gave me breath. What do you want me to do with it? What's the plan? Matthew 16, 24 to 25 says, And Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Now, we don't put that in a lot of our handout evangelism tracks. If <laughs> we, we start with the other side of things, which is he loves us completely. He knows us intimately. He has a plan and a purpose for our life. He, he is only good. But the reality is for us to experience the fullness of that goodness, we have to deny ourselves and follow him. Literally, take up my cross and follow him. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's that thing where we're finding out what is acceptable to God and we begin to do it. I think sometimes we've gone through seasons in the church where we just kind of openly, loosely just say, you know, would you like to know God and whatever, but we don't, we don't share the truth of it's a relationship. It's, it's kind of like saying, do you want to be married? But we don't say, and that means at the exclusivity against all others, like you're only married to the one. 
And that's, that's the covenant. God is like, if you want to say yes to me, I want it all. Like you and me together, we're going we're gonna to do something. This is something special. It's not an add-on piece. He is the central piece. He is the, the whole deal. It's this thing that when we've been studying the awe of God, the fear of the Lord, the definition that's in uh, the study guide of the fear of the Lord is this. To fear God is to reverence and be in complete awe of him. To fear God is to hallow him. To hallow him is to respect greatly. To fear God is to esteem, respect, honor, venerate, to adore him above anyone or anything else. When we fear God, we take on his heart. We love what he loves and we hate what he hates. It is important to him, so it becomes important to us. What's not so important to him becomes not so important to us. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's that, it's that blending into, God, I want to be with you. I want what you want. I want to desire what you desire. I want to see like you see. I want to, I want to feel your heartbeat. It's so interesting that the guy who wrote, John, who wrote the disciple that Jesus loved, he, he wrote that about himself. How did he know that? He was so up close to Jesus that he actually laid his head on Jesus's chest and he heard his heartbeat. He, his revelation of the person of God was that he loves me. But the obedience was he left everything to follow Jesus in the first place to find that out. There has to be a surrender of self. Why would God have us talking about this right now? I believe casual Christianity will kill us. The place of an add-on faith right now is a very dangerous spot to be in. Revelation, we, we read about, I would rather you are hot or cold. But you're lukewarm, so I spit you out of my mouth. The, the, the hot or cold thing is a big deal. And I believe God is calling this house to be ablaze. To be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. To be the people who live in the light. Who boldly declare who he is. Who love extravagantly. Who give generously. Who serve faithfully. The people who speak the truth in the face of lies. The people who stand boldly in the face of persecution. The people who passionately know and love their God. That's who we're called to be. So what are we going to do to go after that? How do we live in the light? We walk in bold relationship with him. And how do we walk in bold relationship with him? Number three, we come up higher. And so this is the thing that we talked about last week. We, the, the idea when I, I, you know, even came back into the nation after spending a couple uh, weeks away and I could, I could feel it. I could feel the heaviness land. I could feel it like pressing in and I'm like, God, I am not going back in the box. What do I have to do? And he said, get above it. Get above it. And I was thinking about that. One of my favorite things, one of my favorite feelings in the world, a lot of you probably have the same one, is that, that thing where you're waiting on the runway uh, in a plane and it's, it's raining outside or it's cloudy, it's overcast. Around here, it's usually cold and snowy and funky. But, but within minutes, you scoot down the runway and those the front starts to lift off and there's just this sense of anticipation because you know you're going to come above the clouds. 
And what do you know is going to be above the clouds? The sun. Guaranteed, you're going to come above the clouds and there will be the sun. There will be a light. No matter how gray it is down here, it is always light up there. And so this place of getting above it, coming up higher, it's actually a biblical thing. It's, it's a thing that is, is naturally woven into the word. God gives us a hint at it over and over and over again. It's built into our language. It's built into our speech. We know, we, we've read already, a city set on a hill that is high. A light that is on a lampstand, that is high. Arise and shine, that is high. These are all above words, are they not? They're all elevated words. It's not down here, how am I going to see my way through this? I just, it's just so hard. It's, no, get above it. We have to get above it. Isaiah 55, 9. God says, for as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's not, just, it's not just accidental that he's using these words. It's a higher way of thinking. It's a higher way of being, not just different. And this is one of the things that we have to understand and apply. We're not just talking about different. We are talking about higher, Higher is an elevated place from which perspective is quite different, from which we can see uh, differently, where the lighting is different. Our internal understanding knows that God is the solution. Our internal understanding knows that there is a higher way. Think about our language. We have things like this. We'll say, um, I'm just feeling really down right now. What does that mean? Depression, worry, anxiety, heaviness, I'm feeling really down right now, right? That's the word that we use. That's the phrase that we use. We'll say, I'm just in a really low patch. Things aren't going so well. It's a tough time. I'm in a low patch. We'll say things like, I'm hitting rock bottom. Oddly enough, we never say, I like flew into the wall. We say, I hit rock bottom. When, when there's a thing of the heart that's going on, it's down. In our minds and in our language, it's down. Are you tracking with me? It's an interesting thing because we just, we have this pull. When the word says that eternity is hidden in our hearts, it means that the way of life, God has placed something in us that we know, whether we understand it in our minds yet or not, we, we know that down is not great. We, we, we'll say things like, it just feels like everyone's trying to bring me down right now. L literally, down. And so we have to come into this perspective that if God's ways are higher than my ways, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, if everything else is trying to bring me down, then I need a God thought to bring me up right? I'm not looking to the people around me in the down zone to pet me up. I have to get to a higher perspective. I have to cut through the clouds and get where the light is. I have to come up higher and get his way of thinking. This is a very specific thought flow. Uh, Psalm 121, 1 and 2 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I lift up my eyes. That's where my help comes from, not around me. Have you ever had a thing where you are just, you're feeling so overwhelmed by life and you just need somebody to solve it? It's possible there is nobody to solve it. 
unless you go up. It is literally the biblical version of I want to speak to the manager. <laughs> There's got to be somebody higher than you right now. Come on. We instinctively know if you want a solution, you go up, you go up. This is what we are called to. Colossians 3, 1 to 3, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, seating at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Above, set your mind on things above. If we can harness this mind, if we can point it in the right direction, we can live in the light above the wet blanket, above the curfew, above the press and the boundary lines and the blockages and the things that are trying to steal your fire. If you can get your mind set on things above, it changes where you are operating from. It might not change your circumstances right away, but it changes your perspective about how to deal with them. You get the higher thoughts. You get the higher ways. You have a different way of looking at things. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. So which is, this is great news because if my life is hidden with him, this is where he is. It says, he raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above, what? All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that was named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. That's where he is, far above all those things. Jesus is not sitting there at the right hand of the Father going, oh my goodness, it's a spirit of fear coming against me. I'm just feeling so intimidated right now. Oh, there's just a spirit. I mean, Jesus is sitting there going, get beneath me. I've already conquered this. I am far above any of this junk. I am the victorious one. And so when we know that, when we celebrate on Easter Sunday, the risen Lord who conquered, who is triumphant, we should be super excited about verses that say, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Where's Christ in God? Seated by the Father, far above all things. I'm hidden with him. That's where I belong. This, this, this atmosphere around here, this, this, this curfew, this fire sucker, that wants to, to snuff out what I'm called to, what you're called to, what we're meant to be. This thing is getting you to look down here and go, well, how, the, how are you going to fix that? How are you going to solve that? Do you have an answer for that? I mean, I mean, you, like, yeah, you could budget that, but that's going to take 18 years. Like, will you even be alive then? Like, how, how, about, how about this situation? Like, I, I mean, what if, what if you do this and they do this? I mean, really, you should just... I mean, this is the down here. But we come up higher. Jesus didn't put up with it at all. When Jesus was walking in this realm and Peter comes up behind him, he has a revelation of who Jesus is. You're the Messiah, the son of God, blah, 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 which is all good. And then Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to die. And Peter goes, no, that can't happen to you. Jesus has zero tolerance. Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. I mean, you, you know that Jesus was not, I'm, I'm going to get down here. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But Peter, you probably shouldn't say things like, no, Jesus is like, I'm living 
from up here. I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. I'm living from up here. Get behind me, Satan. I don't have time for this junk. I don't have time for this attitude. I don't have time for those words. I don't have time for it. I have an assignment. This is actually normal in God for us to live passionately. I know some of us seem weird to people. Um, and maybe a little bit overly expressive or whatever, but biblically speaking, spend an hour with Paul. There's no way he's sitting there going, oh, I didn't realize you had a restriction in that way that you, you hate crowds. I didn't, I didn't know that. Paul's going to be like, um, okay, I was shipwrecked. I was beaten. I was whipped. I was in I mean, passionate life is a biblical life. It literally is passionate life, purpose-led life, God-centered life. That is a biblical life. That's what we got to be. We have to decide to be it. We have to be aggressive about it because let me tell you, the squeeze on the outside is very aggressive. Very aggressive. So we passionately operate in a different zone far above. So how do we come up higher? If we are meant to come up higher so that we can walk in bold relationship with him, how do we come up higher? We live the life that was hidden with him. We on purpose decide to live a life that is hidden with him. That is not a tag on part of life. That is living out of relationship. That is an awareness of, of his presence in, in all aspects of our life. Again, Colossians 3.3, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Living a life that is hidden means that every part of our life is rooted, not in the doing, in the relationship. And like Jonathan already said this morning, this is the thing that we have to understand. The fact that we are hidden in him is not because any of us did anything right. All we did that, that worked was say yes. He paid the full price. So we get this place to operate from, but we have to decide to live that life. We have to decide to live from up there. This is the, the, the concept of tending a fire. I was reading a story. Um, a guy had talked about how his childhood, he just loved camping, um, you know, and, and the family memories. And as soon as he was old enough, all the men in the family would go out and do the overnight campouts or whatever. But some, something that kind of stuck with him over the years was the fact that somebody always was on duty at whatever point in the night to tend the fire, Everybody, somebody had to keep an eye on it at different points during the night. And the reason why was so that the bears and the wolves and the, the stuff that was trying to eat them would stay away. They had to on purpose tend the fire. Did they need fire while they were sleeping? No, unless they didn't want to get eaten. We have to understand if we don't tend the fire... There is something that is trying to eat our lunch, right? There is something that is trying to come after us. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he looks for an opportune time. The best way to have a solid defense is to go on the offensive and have a raging fire. Have a raging fire. We constantly tend the fire. We live in that place of, of being seated with him, recognizing that we're made to sit together with him. We're going to go through one quick passage that's going to give us some tools to meditate on over the week as we, as we go through this. Ephesians 2, 1 to 9. 
explains to us what happens when we come to Christ and this switch that happens, the change that happens on the inside of us. So Ephesians 2, 1 to 9, uh, yeah, 1 to 9, it says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So this is where we were. This should not be where we are after Jesus. This is where we were, and we've been called out of this into something else. Verse four, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up together. I don't think we're getting it. We were among the sons of disobedience, conducting ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath. We were once dead. And now he has raised us up together and made us to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has given us another seat that we can come up higher in our perspective, our life, our way of doing, being, thinking, functioning. It is higher. This is the gift of God. This is the gift of salvation. It's, it's yes about our eternal place with him when we die. But right here, right now, I'm seated together with him in heavenly places. From here, from Grand Prairie, Alberta, Canada, I actually have a seat in the heavenly realm and the seat is meant to rule. Jesus wasn't given a place to stand. He was given a place to sit. And the sitting is symbolic of actually ruling and governing. We were made to sit together with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he may show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's specifically what we've already heard this morning is that this is not something that we have earned, but it's something we've been given. It is so sad when you give something to somebody and they never apply it. They never use it. Maybe they never take it out of the box. Uh, Amy had a birthday. Our daughter had a birthday uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was, I was pretty impressed with her. She, she'd gotten a bunch of gift cards or whatever. I'm like, you know, what are you doing? And whatever. She's like, I am making a point this year to write in around my birthday. I'm going to spend all my gift cards. Because I often save them and hang on to them for some time down the road. And they get lost or they could get misplaced or whatever. But they, they were given to me to use, so I'm going to use them. And I thought, this is the whole process of grace. We've been given something that we are intended to use. It's no good for us just to be like, I'm just going to keep on living my lousy, broken, miserable life in the dark. And I'm just going to repent from time to time because God's made provision for my forgiveness. No, you've been, you've been, it's been paid for, for you to be seated in heavenly places with Christ far above every principality, power, every, I mean, what you've been given is everything. 
Life and life abundant. That should make us so passionate. If we don't feel passionate in our life, we have to ask ourselves, is there a wet blanket that has dropped on us and put out the fire? Or is there a curfew around us that is limiting the fire? Either of those things is worth blowing off today. We need to make sure that we step into this place where we are choosing to tend the fire, where we are living a life that is hidden with him. We need to understand that compromise kills the fire and communi uh, communion stokes it. Yes. Compromise kills the fire and communion stokes it. Compromise is that place where literally, even though I've been called to live in the light, this is not about works. This is about a perspective. Even though I've been called and made provision to live in the light, I choose to live in the dark. I've been given a seat to rule and govern, but I choose to sit in the ditch. That's compromise. And it's not, you know, it's not immediately go straight to hell, do not collect $200. It is like, it's the thing that limits us from experiencing God's goodness. Communion, we're not talking about the bread and the, the juice. We're talking about relationship, the communion with Christ, the fellowship, the walking with him, living the life that is hidden in him. So just as the worship team comes, I want to give you a couple quick scriptures if you're taking notes. Here's some, some people are like, I don't know how to live with him. I don't know how to commune with him. I don't know how to have the relationship with him. Well, let me give you a couple quickies. Set your mind on things above. We read this, Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Consciously choosing what you think about. The word tells us that we actually have the capability to take every thought captive. We can decide what we think about, but we have to decide. If we allow our minds to just drift, it will not drift to great places. It will drift to the ditch. So we decide to set our mind on things above. How about call upon the Lord? Jeremiah 33, 3. We actually have to cry out. We actually have to call him. I, I, I've had times where I'm like, you know, just physically speaking, you know, maybe I get a flat tire. I had one situation a couple years ago. I was at a prayer meeting, which is such a holy thing to be doing. I'm kidding. The point is, sometimes we think just because we're at a church thing, all things should be perfect. I was the last one out of the building. It was blizzarding. It was 40 below. And my car was dead. It was 1130 at night. And I could sit there and be like, God, why? You know, I... I like, God, what do I do? And you know what his really practical answer was? Like, call Wayne. So, you know, my knight in shining armor came and rescued me and whatever. We sold the car the next day, actually, because I was, I was not over that yet. But um, getting stranded at 40 below. But, you know, sometimes you could sit there and just complain about it. Like, I'm doing God's work. There should be no, there should be no provision for this sort of, or you could just call on him and, and like ask him what to do, where to go from here, this kind of thing. You can seek the Lord. This means the actual, I'm craving you. I'm pursuing you. I'm desiring you. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart, not just on the backswing. We can choose to praise him. 
and live in gratitude and worship. Psalm 104 says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. So if we wanna come into that place where we're with him, begin to praise him. Choose gratitude. Thank him. Begin to glorify him. We already prayed this morning. He's given us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When the heaviness is coming in and it's squishing the fire, we put on the garment of praise and we step higher in him. Live righteously. Again, one of our scriptures that we've been talking about, this is compromise. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. If the heaviness is coming in and you need to be elevated to another place, analyze, God, is there something that needs to go? Something that needs to change? Am I compromised in some area? Like, let's just clean it out. I need to live in the light. I need to live in your presence. And this one's a fun one. We're going to end with this. Choose your attitude. Philippians 2, 14 to 15, do all things without complaining or disputing. Doesn't even like say on Tuesdays or something. It's like, do all things without complaining or disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. These are just things that we get to do in the relationship that we have with him. Let's stand together this morning. And as we finish, and I know your kids are ready to get picked up, but I wanna challenge you as we go into these next couple weeks and we begin the Christmas season and we decide how we're gonna engage social situations, workplace parties, neighborhood things, family dynamics, whatever. I wanna encourage you to light it up, to decide to live in that place from a higher perspective, to, to be a light, to be different. Don't allow the past to decide what your future is gonna look like. Don't, don't allow past experiences to determine how you're gonna to respond to the here and now. Decide to be seated together with him in heavenly places and, and think what he thinks, see what he sees, do what he tells you to do. Live in the light. God, today, we bring our lives to you. We thank you for the invitation to be seated with you. We thank you that you've made provision for us. God, we thank you that even though it's a crooked and perverse generation, you have called us to live as lights in the midst of it. Lord, that you've called us to passionately burn for you. You've, you've told us that in order to do so, we're gonna have to lay down our lives. We have to lose our lives and gain them in you. Lord, that we, we pick up our cross and we follow you. And what a beautiful invitation, because in you is fullness of joy. In your presence is beauty and life and light. There's peace, there's hope, there's everything that we ever needed found in you. God, today I pray for every person in this church family, God, those that are watching online, God, we pray that as we engage this season, as we move forward, 
that every place where there's been the wet blanket that has snuffed out the fire of your presence in our lives, where the passion has been gone, I speak an, a, an awakening in Jesus' name. Lord, let the fire fall and ignite once again that which has been dormant. God, would you breathe on those coals, those embers of our heart. God, let us burn for you with a passion and a fire like we've never known before. And those who have been contained, Lord, those who have been living under that curfew, that, that containing, that covering of the fire. Lord, help us to break out. Help us to, to expand into the fullness of what you have for us, God. Help us to live fully and completely in the light, passionately walking with you, knowing your heart, experiencing your goodness, God, exuding your joy wherever we go, Lord. Help us to be carriers of the light in the midst of this generation. We thank you, Lord, for transformation and for allowing us to be part of it. We give you the praise today, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give, just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach, teach, mobilize.